0: Cities change over years and decades, really. So you look at the the metrics for a long period of time, and then you you can kind of project where things are gonna be in the future.
1: Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexemmer. With me, as always, we got Matt Jones. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Todd? I'm doing fantastic, man. Just put in a an offer for almost a 600-unit deal. Um, so kind of excited to hear back from that. It's a portfolio, so I put in actually four different offers. I put an offer for the entire portfolio, for a portion of the portfolio, and then for a property individually, uh, for two different properties individually. So we'll see where it goes. I gave them plenty of options to choose from. I'm hoping to get the whole portfolio, but worst case is I get a couple of those properties I put in individually. I guess worst case is I get nothing. Um, but you know, that's not going to happen. I'm going to get something here. So you got that. That's exciting. Got a couple other LOIs in that we're working on. Um, so just uh, just trying to push forward, and move on. Uh, you know, there's obviously concerns with what's going on with the market, but with good, strong cash flow, with uh, ample reserves, with kind of all, all the fundamentals that we we look for, good financing, good, well-located properties. Uh, I still think buying uh, makes sense. So, pushing yeah, on.
0: The deal flow is definitely better than it was in previous months, I'm noticing. Although, I mean, most of the deals are still garbage, but that's okay.
1: Well, you know, it's always going to be like that. It's always, I can promise you this, even when the market does finally, you know, tank and go down and the deals will still be garbage for what they are for the market, most of them. And there's going to be just a few deals that you want to buy. Now, in hindsight, you'll go, I should have bought everything, right? But that's not the case at that time. There's a lot of uncertainty, you know, when, when that point of the market happens. And so every deal isn't a home run. So um, that's always going to be the case. It's never going to be deals are falling from the sky and they're all amazing gold mines. Yep. So what are we going to hit on today? Well, we're going to continue the
0: multifamily series. And today we're going to be talking about emerging markets and how to figure out uh, what a good market is for investing.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, doesn't matter if you're going to invest in your own backyard or if you're investing in a totally different market. This information is really important. So many people get caught up in thinking, oh, I know my own backyard really well. I've been here my whole life or 10 years or whatever it is. And so they think they know it, but most people don't know it the way we should know it as multifamily investors. Now you are an advantage that you do know your backyard, you know, some things about it, but do you really truly fully understand it? Do you understand the trends? Do you understand what's happening? Do you know the companies that are coming in to the market? Do you know how many buildings are coming into the market? All that kind of stuff we need to really be actually data mining and figuring out. So that's what this is all about. Whether you're investing in your own market or a different market, this is important and this relates to even just a sub market within the market as well.
0: Yep. Wherever you live might even be a terrible place to invest. Uh, so you need to be able to analyze that and know it uh, if you're going to stay there or um, in, in invest somewhere else that you don't live.
1: Yep. So if you're watching this on, on YouTube, we're going to be going through a slide deck. If you're listening to this on um, the the pillars of wealth podcast, you're going to be obviously listening you can't see this, but, uh, feel free to go on to the YouTube channel and you can look at the slide deck. But either way, I'm gonna explain it to a way where you don't really have to visual visually see everything. We always get I shouldn't say we always some people get caught up into market cycles. And I just talked about, you know, we're we're late in a cycle right now, but I feel like it's still a good time to buy. There are market cycles, we wanna be aware of them. We wanna to try to understand as best we can where we kind of are in the cycle or or in what the trends are, but we don't need to get too caught up in timing cycles. If you're caught up in timing cycles, you're going to just, you're you're never going to do well in my opinion. Um, But if we understand the trends and understand where potentially we are in the cycle, it allows us to strategize a little bit better to be successful, Right. And so my strategy is slightly different right now in this cycle than it is in the early parts of a cycle. I'm much more conservative with my numbers, holding things more tightly to my chest. Um, I am really looking for markets that have good rent affordability right now. I'm looking for those slow, steady growth markets, not the ones that see the big ups and downs. So there's certain things that I'm looking for today that if the market does go through a big cycle change and there are you know value opportunities, I might be considering different things. So understanding kind of where you're at and, and the phases is important. Matt, what do you look for? I, I know what I look for in a market and a property, what are you looking for in a market or property?
0: opportunity is where it comes down to and the numbers the metrics that I look for specifically are job growth income growth uh, reduction in crime uh, available you know availability of units so are there more units than there really need to be uh, then that might not be a good market that sort of stuff um, no. yeah
1: yeah absolutely yeah I mean you know specifically for me looking at a property it's got to have cash flow right it's got to have cash flow. But the other thing that it has to have to be on cash flow is it's got to have some sort of forced appreciation that I can I can do. So I have to have some sort of value out. I have to have something, some sort of deficiency that I can uh, fix, and, and then it has to have appreciation. And I'm talking market appreciation. So I'm looking for the markets. I'm looking for the the areas in the market that are poised for growth. And that's what you just mentioned, right? looking for job growth, looking for population growth, looking for, uh, you know, opportunities basically. So I want to appreciate a market with job growth. I want it to be landlord friendly. I want that rent affordability that i talked about. And like you said too, that, that low new inventory. We don't want a bunch of new builds jumping out on us all over the place. And, you know, they're sitting there vacant or there's tons of concessions, that type of stuff. I mean, right now in the twin cities we're seeing a lot of concessions we're seeing in minneapolis spe- specifically we're seeing a very very high rate of concessions and that's concerning um, so we want to be looking for markets that 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 don't have that or we and we feel won't be having that soon mm-hmm. right yeah. so i want to see markets that have a population growth far exceeding my delivery growth, which delivery of units, right?
0: Yep. And I'd say cities change over years and decades, really. Yeah. So you look at the, the metrics for a long period of time, and then you, you can kind of project where things are going to be in the future.
1: Yep. Yep. You, and you always got to be looking at this stuff, right? It's not just a one-time deal. You don't just like go, hey, I'm going to invest in Phoenix, Arizona, and you know look at the data one time and then never look at it again. You can you can't do that. You're going to you, you've got to continue to be looking at this data and understanding what's going on.
0: You got to have your fingers on the pulse.
1: Yep, absolutely. So, for me when I'm looking at a market, I want to see, you know, I want to see the average income of the level. Average household income be above 35 or 35,000. I want to see population growth. I want to see a population growth within 5 miles of where I am. I also want to see job growth within 5 miles. I don't want to be in an area where we just don't have a lot of job growth happening because that's going to stagnate that market, that submarket. So when I'm talking specifically looking at a property, you know, uh, well, a lot of people maybe know or don't know, but like Chicago, for instance, Chicago is a perfect city where, you know, if you get close to the lake and, and some of the suburbs, there's growth happening. The market's great, but you're going to buy these properties for low cap rates. But if you, go into some of these neighborhoods that just are super stagnant, you can get a 10 cap, 12 cap, at least on paper. Right. But it doesn't mean it's a good investment. What happens is these properties become vacant because nobody's looking for a place there. They They're trying to move out. They're not trying to move in. The, the only reason why they're living there is because they're kind of stuck there. Right There's So they're trying to figure out how they can get out of that area. There's higher crime. There's no jobs, There there's no reason for them to be there. So, and that happens, that's not just Chicago that this happens in every city, every major Metro. So um, one of the big things I really look for, and I've mentioned this already is the rent affordability. I want my rent affordability to be 25% of income. So if the average income is $35,000, I want my tenants to be paying 25% of that on average right. And so that's what I'm looking for. I don't want the rent to be 2000 bucks and 2000 bucks a month and a tenant's making, you know, 5,000 bucks a month. That's just, that's not affordable for them. They're not going to be able to keep up with the payments. And eventually when the market changes, I'm going to be sitting there with a bunch of vacant buildings. That makes no sense. Hey, real quick. I just want to let you know about the Multi-family challenge that we got going on. It's a five-day multi-family challenge on how to get an offer in uh, quickly, right? So we're going to teach you in five days, five one-hour sessions. We're going to go through the steps and the process to get there. So go to mfichallenge.com, mfichallenge.com. You can sign up. It's free if you want the VIP. There's a bunch of things that we'll give away too. You got to, you got, you do have to pay for that. But hey, it's going to be well worth it. Again, you can get in for free. We're going to teach you how to get that offer across the table, get the LOI in, uh, all the steps. So Ellis Hammond and I, Ellis, was episode 316. Check check out his episode. And we're going to be doing this next week. So sign up now at mfichallenge.com, mfichallenge.com, and get in there. We're, uh, we're doing it next week, and it's going to be awesome. So hope to see you there. What else, Matt? Uh,
0: I would say... Job opportunities, you know, you want to have places where there's a lot of uh, companies moving in and a diverse uh, types of jobs, you don't want it to be all one type of job like Detroit, you know, when the auto industry went belly up, that really devastated that city, um, you know, now it's becoming more diverse, but, uh, uh, you know, you don't want to put yourself at risk of, of that one industry that uh, gets destroyed yeah. and, and everything else goes down as because of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, think of the Rust Belt, right? Any Anywhere in the Rust Belt got got hammered. Um, so job diversity is huge. I don't like when a market has over 20% in one industry. I think of like San Francisco, the Silicon Valley area. They're, they're, they're very highly tech orientated and you might go, well, tech is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. I agree, but everybody didn't nobody expected auto manufacturing to go away either tech is changing it's ever evolving so when you have a one area so focused on certain sectors there's opportunity for that to get disrupted and i don't want to sit here and predict that san francisco is the next next detroit maybe it is maybe it's not but it's something to be cognizant of when you're looking at investing in an area is how diverse is that, that, that job force. Is it focused on one industry or is it not? I would prefer to not bet on one industry. The other thing too, we might have a bunch of jobs coming to the market. What type of jobs are they? Everybody says, Oh, you know, Amazon's got a new shipping, um, you know, they're, they're bringing in a 2,000 jobs or whatever. That's great. It doesn't hurt anybody. But what type of jobs are they? Well, a lot of those jobs are very basic, kind of low-level jobs, a couple maybe managerial jobs, but mostly lower-level jobs. Well, again, that's good. We need those jobs, but that doesn't spur massive growth, right? What spurs Large growth is if we can have some of those jobs, we can have some managerial jobs and we can have some of executive jobs. We have a good diverse kind of percentage of each of those jobs coming in. And guess what? The people that make a lot of money spend a lot of money. And what does that do? It brings in more jobs. So the higher paying jobs actually bring in more jobs. And that's something you have to be looking at. If, if Are we having just, just low paying jobs coming in? only high paying jobs coming in or we got a nice diverse allotment of jobs coming in. Great point. Yeah. Um, I think along with job creation follows population growth, right? So what, what are we looking for with population growth?
0: Uh, I would say steady, you know, you don't want uh, you know, major sort of fluctuations, like you were saying earlier, but uh, I really like to see uh, an in, um, increase in the, my target population. So who are going to be my tenants? Are my tenants young urban professionals, that sort of thing? I want to see that, uh, you know, sort of 25 to 40-year-old, uh, you know, increasing versus, like, older people.
1: Well, that's a good point. You know, it depends on your demographic, right? Um, if we got a lot of older people going, coming in. That is definitely a good thing, especially if you're catering, catering towards that generation. So if you're mm-hmm. going to do a lot of 55 plus communities, well, then that's what we do want to see. But if we're going to do your traditional apartment building, then the younger generation definitely needs to be coming in because those are your renters. And yeah, your 55 plus are some, sometimes your renters, but not nearly as large a percentage as your 20 to you know, 30 year old population. Um, so that, that's definitely true. I want to really to focus on where it's actually happening. Every city has a path of progress. And, and so think, I mean, just think about the market that you're living, you know, there's certain areas that are really growing or really highly desirable. You know, if you look at uh, the Twin Cities, for instance, so you got Minneapolis, and then you got really honestly going west of Minneapolis along the 394 corridor. Is very high demand and we can spread from there and go, go to the South more, go to the North slightly, but not nearly as much to the North. It's mostly West, Southwest, a little bit slightly North, but not very far North. If you look at, you know, the rest of the twin cities, there's maybe a couple pockets, but that's the big area of generalized growth then there's other small areas of pocketed growth as well. So we want to look, where's that path of progress, what's going on, and we want to be within that path of progress. It's also nice to get in to the back of the path of progress early. There's path of progresses that that do pop up. And, um, you know, if you can time it to get in early, that's great. I wouldn't, again, timing the market's difficult and unpredictable, and so I wouldn't focus on just time, timing the market. I would be focusing on what you already know and, and where it's going. So, and each city
0: has a plan of where they want to be. So if you can look at where new roads are going to be planned to build or light rail stations, you know that sort of stuff, then that gives you an idea of, of uh, good areas to expect to uh, that you can buy in.
1: Yeah. Well- you know, back to the population, I really like larger MSAs. I, I, I personally want to see the MSA, and by MSA, I mean metropolitan service area. So think of the city and the suburbs. I really would prefer them to be about 500,000 or, or larger in population. That gives me not only a tennis to pull from, um, so think higher occupancy, less uh, disruption to your occupancy but it also gives me people to work at my properties. So I need property management. I need onsite leasing. I need maintenance. It gives me an opportunity to get those types of people there. If I'm, gonna, if I'm in a really small city, especially if it's a small city that's not near large cities, it's going to be really tough for me to get contractors and so on uh, available. Now they are cheaper. So if you do find a really good contractor, that's extremely reliable, that might be a good thing, but boy, that something goes wrong with them, they get sick, they move, whatever. Now you got to find somebody new and that can be really challenging. And those larger
0: MSAs often mean that there's more availability of apartment buildings to buy as well. Not always, but often.
1: Yep, yep. Um. What else, Matt? Why don't you hit on hit on the permits pulled and, and what's going on there? What why is that important? So
0: when there's more permits being pulled, that means that there's more stock being built up, more uh, newer buildings, more A plus uh, quality places. So it means that there's well more competition in there uh, to be able to get tenants. It, depending on what your target market, your your target uh, population that you're going for is, you know, it might not necessarily be competitors but you have to be really thoughtful about uh, you know, it, it, the more uh, stock that's in, a, in an area. So if you're going for like B or C uh, level places, then the A plus might not necessarily impact you so much.
1: Yeah, it, it may not and it may. So yeah, you, you definitely wanna be aware because once we start having a lot of concessions in the market, once we start seeing rent decline, it typically is a triple trickle down. Now you might still maintain high occupancy, right? Cause your C-class tenants are not moving into the A-class building that was built. But if you're seeing rent declines in the A-class that could trickle down depending on how far it goes. Uh, so we we want to we definitely want to be aware of it the other thing that we want to be aware of is more than just multifamily as well we want to be aware of single family too i want to be aware of what's actually being built in the market because let's let's just say i've got a population increase in one year of 50,000 people and we've got we've got 45,000 units being built total well we know that a population of 50,000 people doesn't mean 50 Fifty thousand new households, right? It, it, we need to, we need to be putting the amount of units that we put into the market needs to match the amount of households being formed in the market. So we got to be looking at that, kind of paying attention to how many households are, are moving in and being formed um, versus how many units are being built overall. So we, one of the, one of the best ways is there's most cities track the absorption rate, meaning the amount of units being brought to the market versus the amount of units, new units being rented in the market. We want that absorption rate to be as close to even as possible Um, or better. You know, we we would rather have more people trying to move into the units than the units being built. Um, Another good way is tracking the concessions, tracking the vacancy rate and the higher the vacancy goes, the more the vacancy goes up, Obviously, we know we're probably overbuilding. Same thing with concessions. If we start having one, two, month, three month concessions, we know something's going on there. So, um, say so one uh, side thought
0: about uh, looking at population growth you can always pull up the U hauls. Uh, you know, if there's lots of U hauls being transferred to a particular area, that means lots of people are moving there and bringing their stuff into town. Uh, and that's a good sign for population.
1: Yeah, U-Haul actually prints. They, they they put that data out there for everybody, so you can just go and you could type in U-Haul population uh, growth, and you could you could see that that information there. So that's that is that is a good good point. A lot of this stuff, by the way, we can get for free, right? There, there's um, there's a ton of resources out there. One of my favorite things is these real estate brokerage firms, those commercial real estate brokerage firms, they do massive data analysis. And so if you go to a CBRE or Marcus Milchap, Cushman Wakefield, Colliers, any of these big commercial brokerages, they're going to have all this information that you need set up for you. Now, trust, but verify, right? But it's all free. It's all out there. You can get, you know, you can look it up on the city's websites. You can look it up in neighborhood scout city data. Um, there's so many different websites out there that you can get this information for free. So the next thing, you know, government planning. We wanna make sure that the government's actually doing something that's gonna help the city not hurt the city and, as, and landlords as well. Look at the city of Minneapolis just trying to put down rent control. Is, your, is the city you're looking at trying to do rent control? that could be very damaging to your business. And so you want to be in cities that actually want the landlords there that aren't trying to criminalize them. And so we want to know what's going on with the, with the landlord friendly laws or landlord unfriendly laws. (laughs) And uh, the other thing too, is we want to know, does the city actually have a plan? Do they have a plan to grow the city? Do they have a plan to bring in businesses? Are there nonprofits that are bringing in businesses? Is Chamber of Commerce active in bringing in businesses? You know, and then what type of businesses do they really want to bring in? As you mentioned already, like where where are they building new roads and light rail and, you know, stuff like that? City parks, uh, convention centers, you know, what, what are they, what's their comprehensive plan? So you can go on to Google and and just Google Google. Um, whatever city you're interested, in, you know, if you're interested in Tampa, Florida, Tampa Bay, you can type in Tampa, Tampa, a uh, comprehensive plan and you'll get to the city's website and their comprehensive plan. You can read through it. And typically they have sections on what their development plans are and kind of see what they're doing. Do they actually, do they have a plan? I think that's the biggest thing. Do they have a plan And then, and then what is that? What's it look like? Also, do they have tax incentives that are favorable or unfavorable for you as a as a property owner? All right, Matt. Why don't you start with rent affordability? Hit on that. I've already touched on it, um, so this one's pretty quick.
0: Uh, it's a hugely important factor uh, because if a tenants can't afford to live in your units, then you know they're not going to stay there long, and you're going to have empty places. Pretty well. I know you like to have. Uh, you would like to buy properties in places where the medium income is about 25% of what the average rent is going to be it could be like up to 33% but no definitely no more than that uh, 25 gives you a cushion if somebody's paying let's say more than 50% of their income just for their housing i mean they've got other bills they've got uh, utilities and medical and credit cards and food and everything else they're not going to be able to afford rent uh, you know usually rent is somebody's biggest single bill And if they can't afford that, or like if they have hard times, that's the first thing that they're going to skip on.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, and one of the reasons I like the 20, 25% range is because now I have some room for growth, right? If, if, if the median rent is 25% of the income, I actually have some room to push my rents where I'm not stressing my tenants to that point, that breaking point. But if it's already at 33% or 30%, I don't have room for growth. And so it can only go up as fast as the income goes up. So I can really only raise it, let's say income's going up by 1%, I can only raise it by 1% in order to, to keep them comfortable. If I raise it 2 3 4%, all of a sudden I get stressed out tenants because they can't afford their bills anymore and they're wondering why where again, if it's at 20%, I can raise it 4%, even though the income only goes up by 1%. I can raise it 5% and they can still afford it because they're not even pushing to their max limit. So that's that's a big reason why I, why I like um, good rent affordability. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, so we already talked about the absorption rate and the vacancy rate, why those are important. Um, you know, so I could, I can skip that. You mentioned opportunity to purchase. Why is that? Why do you care about that? Like there's always opportunity, right?
0: Well, yes, there's always opportunity, but it just depends how much is there a lot of stock trading hands at, in a particular market? Uh, you know, that might mean that there's more competition, but there's also more deals that you can look at and, and try to find opportunities. But uh, places like, you know, you and I live in the twin cities, And uh, you know, not very many places trade hands. I know, just the culture here. People buy and hold for long periods of time in the Twin Cities, so there's just not much that comes up for sale. Um, And so you can find good deals and and whatnot, but it's just few and far between.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So you know look for markets that are, people are actually trading their properties if they're if they're trading there's there's just it's it's weird there's markets out there i think i feel like a lot of the midwest upper upper you know kind of the north uh, you know like minnesota midwest are, they're just like kind of more traditionalists we're gonna hang on to our properties forever we're gonna buy them we're gonna hold them and that's what we do where you get to other areas you know Southwest, Southeast, um, South—you know—they're—they're they're flipping properties. They're buying a property, they're renovating, it, they're keeping it for five years, and then they're moving on. Um, it's rare that they hold on their properties for twenty years. Where in Minnesota, it's rare that you sell your properties in under twenty years. So you just hold on to them. You buy them. You you hold them. You keep them forever. That's just kind of how it's traditionally been here, and. I don't, that hasn't, it hasn't stopped. It's maybe changed a little bit, but it hasn't stopped. So look for markets where there's actually deals. Um, you can, again, can you still buy deals in markets like the twin cities? Absolutely. You definitely can. It takes a lot of work. Um, so you got to look at, do you, you know, what, what, where's, what's the best use of your time? What's the best opportunity for you? Um. So as I said, there's a ton of information that you can find without paying for it online. Now, if you want a real detailed study, you're going to probably have to pay for it, but there's a lot of good information that you can get. You don't have to pay for. I've mentioned a couple of them, Neighborhood Scout. That's free if you want to subscribe. Of course, there's a free, there's a trial period that you can get. You can subscribe. They've got other data that they, they give you when you subscribe. City data, um, National Apartment Association, you know, there's Milken's Bass. there's your Chamber of Commerce, your um, your city websites, um, you know, of course, the Census Bureau, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So there's just so many great resources out there. Um, and and again, you could just go on to uh, your search engine and just do some searches and you can find some great information as well. Yep, you can look at uh, crime
0: maps and sex offender registry maps to see what uh, some heavy hitting areas are.
1: Yeah, so tr- Trulia.com has some crime mapping. Neighborhood Scout has some crime mapping. Um, your city websites that ha- should have some crime mapping. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of good data out there that you can get to. Local business journals are really good uh, as well. They've got a lot of very good local information that's going to provide you a a big insight to what's going on. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, All right. Well, that's, that's all I got. Choose your markets wisely. Choose your neighborhoods wisely. We want to buy real estate that not only cash flows, but appreciates and appreciates. I want stuff that appreciates faster than just your average market. I want to look in areas and find areas that have real solid growth and they're poised for a good future. Hey, me too. All right, Matt, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Make every day a Saturday. Sounds good.